For those of you who have been here since the first or second time we gathered, um, good for you. (laughs) Good for you. You've made it through to the end um, of our study together of this amazing collection of teachings by generations of Jewish scholars and thinkers and philosophers and spiritual practitioners. So good for you. And it's been quite a journey, right? We've come through quite a journey of learning from like, what is this business at all to people coming up to me kind of randomly when they see me and saying, so I'm kind of struggling with, you know, some gavura right now in my week, but chesed is pulling at me. And right, I'm like, wow, it worked, right? So, um... That's the goal, like to give us some kind of common vocabulary just to start um, exploring what's going on for us and talking about that and um, talking about that Jewishly. So tonight is our culminating class. Tonight's the last. Uh, Every single one of these classes is available as a podcast. So all you have to do to get the entire series is go to any place you get your podcast. You can go to iTunes, you know, wherever you get your podcast, and you can just put in Kehillat Israel, and you'll see all of our offerings. Uh, And this whole series is there as well. So if you missed one or two or all of them till tonight, not calling anyone out, um, then you can listen to those. Hopefully you got your handouts, you got what's being handed out for tonight, and if you haven't been here before, you need some previous handouts. So if you have not gotten before the handout uh, about Ehyeh Kabbalah for tomorrow, Rabbi Arthur Green's book on Kabbalah, you need to have this for tonight. We're going to start there. So let's review, shall we? A little bit? Okay, but you know what? Um, I just learned from Rabbi Carrie Vogel at our staff meeting this week that she's reading a book called Making It Stick or Make It Stick. I can't remember, but it's about how you make things stick so that you remember them. Jim's just got it. See what I did there? So, um, so how do we make it stick? And one of the things that, that she said, the most important thing that this research is showing is that to make it stick, you need to work to recall it. So it's not about me reminding you what we studied, which is what I tend to do as a teacher. Um, That's the worst way for you to remember what we've studied. The best way is for you to struggle to remember where and retrieve that information, to go searching for it in the files and retrieve it. That strengthens our ability, apparently, to remember it. So I'm going to try to be flexible and grow here as a teacher. So, we started with kind of this huge concept of Ein Sof. That's how we began this whole thing. What is Ein Sof? Nothingness. All right, good. You all retrieved that pretty quickly. All right. You didn't have to work for that. I got to make you work harder. All right, so Ein Sof. (laughs) Nothing, capital N. And then we have emanating out from Ein Sof, ten spherot. Ten, right, emanations of the divine, 10 flavors of the divine. It's not any less than 31 flavors. It includes all possible flavors in 10, right? So 10 permutations of the divine. And if it's part of the divine, it must be part of us as well. 
So we didn't do a separate lecture on each of the top three spherot. You took this with you, yes? You took this tonight? Mm-hmm. All right, so for those of you new to this system, new to this idea, you can look at this chart. And you can see at the top of the chart the first triad of spherot, crown, keter, bina, understanding, chokhmah, wisdom. Right? You have the top three right there. We did one lecture all about those, just the, the first three. It's right up here on the wall as well. Keter, Chochma, Bina. Why did we treat those three as a unity? Anybody remember? And if you have to work to retrieve it, that's a good thing. <laughs> Why did we treat those as a unit? Keter, Chochma, Bina. Those are three spherot. Why did we treat them as one? Why didn't we talk about each one of them? They're kind of oriented in the same place in the kind of ethereal, more, if you want to call it higher, if we're talking hierarchy, like which I don't love, but okay, like the higher realm, right? Keter chokhmabina, kind of the supernal, if you will, um, sfirot. We started to concentrate more on each one when we got to what? Chesed. Chesed. And what is Chesed. Loving, loving kindness. kindness, right? A terrible translation that I hate a lot, right? But, right, okay, that's what we're working with, right? What translation would you put on that? Uh, what translation would I put on that? Loving kindness or chesed So, <laughs> chesed yeah, that's, that's a translation I like. chesed to someone is demonstrating chesed. Um, yeah. It is, it is about loving, it is about kindness. What are some of the other words we used for chesed? Generous. Generous. Empathy. Empathy. Giving. Giving. Yeah. Compassion. Right. So there are all these other words that start to come when we actually take some time to think about it. Um, so it's that generous, open, like, place, right? All right. And what did we talk about next? We talked about? Gavura. What's Gavura about? Hmm? Discipline. Discipline. Limits. Limits. Strength. Strength. Judgment. Judgment. Right, discernment. Differentiation. Differentiation. Um, I would say boundaries. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, Excellent. Then we talked about, okay, out of the tension between the relationship between chesed and gevura, everything tips over into tiferet. Tiferet is not because black and white come together and make gray. It's that one and another come together to make something entirely unique and yet related to the two, right, that it emanates from. So talk to me about tiferet. What's the quality of tiferet? What does tiferet mean? Balance, harmony, what does tiferet mean, the Hebrew? Beauty. beauty. Tiferet means beauty. What is, what is that beauty about? That beauty is about balance. Coming from chesed and gevura, what are the, some of the unique things about tiferet? Mm. We talked about truth, right? Tiferet's about truth. The relationship between chesed and gevura, that relationship, that dynamic, 
results in beauty, results in truth. Yeah? And there was much more that we had to say about that. You can listen on the podcast. Tiferet tips over first into Netzach. What is Netzach about? Endurance. Ambition. Endurance. Endurance. Stick to itiveness. Resilience. Stick to itiveness. Hmm? Drive. Drive. Ambition. Going the mile. Perseverance. Determination. Excellent. Excellent. Y'all got Netzach, boy. You are Westerners extraordinaire. Y'all got Netzach. Tiferet's like, hmm. But Netzach? (laughs) Kaboom, kaboom. Oh, so let's let's hold that, Jory. We'll come back to that. Let's hold that. Um, Hold. What's hold about? Hmm? Hmm? Satisfied with what is. Humility. Humility. Acceptance. Wow, we Westerners aren't so great at this one, are we? It's a little harder, isn't it? To relate to right away, to find the synonyms for right away, because we're not encouraged to think that way, are we? Because we're, we're go- we got to drive, we got to produce, we got to succeed, we got to be ambitious, we got to, right? We, we're all about Netzach. Y'all had no problem coming up with words for Netzach. Hold not so much. <laughs> Hold is very important for you as you start to get older. Hold is very important for you, says Elaine, as you start to get older. Why? Because it teaches you the acceptance of what's, what is. life's what about. Is. It teaches you the acceptance of what is. And that is a complicated, incredibly important part of becoming a spiritually mature, responsible human being. And we do not talk about it. Instead, we talk about the netzach of you can get that fixed. Don't we? There's something you can do for that. There's something to make you not have to accept the fact that you are aging, that you are changing, that you are, and they will use this word, declining. <laughs> right? But right? Like, but in human terms. Yeah. In human terms, what? Approaching death. We are approaching death. So we don't like that. We do not like that we are coming a little closer to death. We don't like it in our parents. We don't like to see it happening around us. For me, you can imagine what that's like. How many congregants I've loved in 22 years and have been incredibly close to? I have a whole ghost congregation (laughs) that you don't know about, but I see them sitting. And when I make a certain joke or a certain comment, I look to my people who are sitting here among you, um, and it's a huge congregation. Yeah, you absolutely can reserve a seat for a hundred years from now. <laughs> it strikes me what what you're talking about is very Western, yes. as opposed to Eastern, because yes. there are many cultures. Yes, we we tend to call them fatalistic, 
but where there is a lot more acceptance, and part of the problem is acceptance can turn into... Celebration. In it, well, accept, too much acceptance can turn into not accomplishing anything, and too much accomplishing can turn into a lack of acceptance and just I, I was exhaustion. Say, too much acceptance can, can turn into celebrating the other life rather than oh, this life. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, or saying there's nothing I can do because right. unless God wills it, sure. it's not going to so happen. So I, I hope I, I prefaced everything I just said with it's very Western, mm-hmm. yeah. right, of us. But this is a Western way that we're challenged to think about coming closer to death, not being able to talk about that or hold that with a lot of comfort. I'm not saying it's supposed to be comfortable. I'm just saying we have no comfort in even raising the subject, much less living into accepting who we are as we change and as we age. Mark? There's also a distinction to be made here between passive and active, or active and passive, and therefore, in a sense, masculine and feminine. So Mark is talking about a difference between active and passive, masculine and feminine. Talk to me where you're seeing that here in between chesed and, uh, where are we? Netzach and hon? Yes, Netzach is very active. It's uh, doing something, changing something. Making it happen. Making it happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas hod is something more akin to receiving, to accepting. And in, in that very, very basic sense, uh, feminine. So tell me, Mark, what do you see right above Hode? Uh, <laughs> I'm looking. Uh, compassion. No. Right above Hode? I, I can't see that. Okay, Gavura. Gavura. Yes, okay. That's interesting, isn't it? Yes. Because yeah, Netzach's over here, Hode's over here. Yeah. But Chesed is over there, and Gavura's over here. So it doesn't line up exactly how you might expect the active and the passive masculine and feminine the way we tend to talk about it, right? Right. Yin, yang, whatever. And and I say that with no judgment and no like baggage. Like it is what it is about masculine, feminine, yin and yang. It does not line up the way we would do it in the Western world because Gevura is right over Hod and Chesed is right over Netzach. Right? Right? Yeah. I love that. Don't you love that? Do you think Gavor is masculine or feminine? Is it masculine or feminine? There's a masculine and feminine pole on either side. One's masculine, one's feminine. Guess what? Oh, right? <laughs> Got him, right? Just saying. So it's not intuitive. It's not intuitive for us. Gavur is feminine. She's on the, it's on the feminine side, as is Hod, like you indicated. But what's over there on the masculine side? Chesed. Yes, you'd expect Netzach, but Chesed is right above Netzach on the masculine side of the scale. Love that. Love that. Right? Love that. All right, so yes, that dynamic is there as well. Active, passive, initiative, receptive, feminine, masculine, that is definitely here in this schema. Um, And as a feminist, I'll just say this schema was put together by men. So, okay. So let's go to our green, shall we? Um, Oh, wait, sorry. We're going to come through Yesod. What's Yesod? Foundation. 
Huh? Rooting? Rooting. Like rooting in the earth. Okay? The foundation for everything that's going to come. The possibility of things actually manifesting, yeah? Is you sowed. Now we come at last to Malchut. All right. Let's turn to your art green packet, please, to page 55, where it says Malchut. Malchut is also associated very closely with Shekhinah. Malchut is the absolute base of the tree. Everything from Ein Sof through Keter Chochmabina all the way down this spherotic system, everything in a positive, wonderful, amazing, miraculous way dumps into Malchut. Well, actually, it dumps into Yasod. It comes into Yasod. And my image for this when I talk about Yasod in this sense, as we're talking about Malchut, is my daughter. Like being here, wherever she was, and, my, and then she gets bigger. And then my daughter was really like here, far out, here, and then she dropped. She, she dropped. And then I was walking like this. Because she dropped. That's Yasod. She's ready. She's ready. Malchut is her coming into this world, which did not happen that way. It happened in up-down cut. That was another whole story. But, right, in the usual lovely metaphor, well, she emerges. Well, she emerged, all right. So uh, they filleted me like a fish. So um, Malchut, so you sowed is that the possibility, it's here, it's ready, it's gen- like the generativity of it, it's almost here, there's now a possibility of it really manifesting. Malchut, is it manifesting in this world? What was potential, what was abstract, what was beloved already, but kind of in an abstract kind of way, right? Like, I loved her. I would have died for her before she came into this world. I would have died for her. I risked my life to have, like, like, 100%. But how could I really know relationship or love until she was here and other and apart from me? This is Malchut. Divine of the divine, still divine, and yet, now for the first time, other than the divine. Something else, capital E, happens, and it's called the universe, capital U. Malchut is everything that's been coming everything that's been permeating the world. And it doesn't have to be a baby. That's just what I go to because it I'm a rabbi, I had a baby, whatever. But think of a piece of music. It's in there. It's inspired by something. It's kind of niggling around in there or a poem, right? And it's in there and an essay or whatever. And it's like all the things it needs to go through. I'm going to be boundaried about it. I'm going to edit it. I'm going to cut that down. I don't like that part. I'm going to move into the love for this part, right? Whatever it is. And then finally, it emerges. That's Malchut. You sowed as you pick up the guitar. You sowed as you go to the piano, you go to the canvas. 
and you the paintbrush, you dip it in the paint, the moment that paintbrush touches the canvas, Elaine, that's malchut. It moves from the potential to the actual. They are not unrelated. They are not completely separate. Malchut is of this whole system. It is connected still. Look at all, it goes up through Yisod and is connected all the way up to Ein Sof. It has to be, because there can't be any way we're not connected to Ein Sof, to, to divinity. There's no way we're not connected. There's something different at Malchut. It's the cosmos. It's the physical universe. It's something that did not happen before Malchut. So, what is the root of Shekhinah? The root is Shin Chaf Nun. Shachin is to dwell. Your shechuna in Israel is your neighborhood. It's where you live, right? L'shachen is to dwell. So the rabbis characterize this aspect of malchut shechina as where the divine dwells in what happens through malchut, which means the world. The indwellingness of God in the universe, in us, is called Shekhinah, the dwelling, the indwellingness. For them, this is definitely a feminine aspect of the divine. It is the premier now, not once upon a time, but now this is the premier feminine term we use in our uh, Jewish tradition to talk about uh, God. This is the feminine image, Shekhinah. The indwellingness of God in us and in the world, the aspect of God that permeates this world, the way to Ein Sof has to pass through Malchut has to pass through Malchut, up through Yisod, and so forth, and so on. Because we talked about this is not unidirectional, right? It's a dynamic, it's a flow. So as Ein Sof flows through everything to Malchut, right, that's why I think about bowling, right? As the divine reaches back, right, Ein Sof reaches for the ball, Ein Sof makes contact, and as Ein Sof reaches through that ball and rolls it down, that moment the ball touches the lane is Malchut. Yeah? So it's not unrelated. We wouldn't be here without that throw. Um, but in this schema, if you want to get to Ein Sof, you need to move through Malchut. It's not separate. You don't jump from here to Ein Sof. That's a different tradition. Our tradition says you move to Ein Sof through Malchut, through the body, through the physical world, through our physical experiences. We move through that back up the spherotic chain to nothing, capital N. Through Chesed, Gevura, all that stuff, right? All right, so it works both ways. They see it as a tree. That, so when we sit in meditation every Friday and I say we open at Keter at the crown of the head, we open at our Keter to receive God's Malchut. Uh, right? 
our, our spherotic tree goes this way, God's goes this way. We open it, Keter, the crown of the head, to receive God's malchut, God's shekhinah, and everything flowing through that to us. Yeah? Does that make sense? The inverted, like this spherotic system inverted is God. Okay. So, or that's the relationship, right? Was inverted, which I love. All right, let's go to our cream. Oh my gosh, I've been talking so much. All right. The word shechina derives from the Hebrew shachain, right, which we have here, meaning to dwell. One noun form from that root is mishkan, the tabernacle or dwelling place of God in the wilderness. Mishkan means the place of dwelling. Right? We've talked about this a lot in Torah study, yes? The Mishkan. Okay, we're coming up on it again. <laughs> Shekhinah is more like that which dwells. The Mishkan is the place of dwelling. Shekhinah is that which dwells. Shekhinah is the presence of the one amid the many, the palpable reality of divinity within the here and now. The first nine spherot refer to a reality that transcends our ordinary life experience. They represent the transition or the inner journey from hiddenness to manifestation, from Ein Sof to Shekhinah, in both God and in person, right? It both happens within the divine, and then, of course, by necessity, <coughs> right? Because we are the divine. Um, it happens within us as well. The final sphira, especially as understood in the Hasidic sources, is the God who is fully imminent within the natural and physical world. The God who is the subject of our regular awareness, that malokol ha'aretz kavodo, all the world is filled with God's glory. The imagery associated with Shekhinah in Kabbalistic teaching is particularly rich. She is malchut. And what's the translation of malchut? kingdom. Notice I didn't go there first. Because some of us have a lot of baggage when we come to kingdom, don't we? All right, me included. (laughs) She is Malchut, the kingdom into which the king enters, and in which perfect harmony and fulfillment are found. Most of the verbal images portray Shekhinah in feminine terms or in aspects of nature, such as land, sea, moon, natural elements that are often linked to femininity. That, this has to do with the deeply sexual character of Kabbalistic thought. The flow of energy or being through the spherotic channels while sometimes likened to both light and water flowing from a hidden source is very much experienced by the Kabbalists as the flow of a man's inner sexual energies concentrated in the semen that he pours into his mate at the moment of sexual climax. Kabbalah rejects the usual Western separation of the physical from the spiritual realm the flow of divinity from hiddenness to revelation, the flow of mental energies from egolessness to fullness of personality, and the flow of sexual, sexual energies from their deep inner sources to fulfillment in the act of sexual union are all manifestations of the same process. 
Talk to me, people. What do you think? Is that true, George, for you? Or do you want to say something else entirely? Uh, another question. I understand coming down from the unknown into a spiritual uh, wholeness, however that's phrased. But you mentioned earlier going back up to nothingness, and that confused me. Okay, well, what's confusing? Going back to nothingness. If we've got the spiritual wholeness in the base of the tree, why would we want to go back up to nothingness? You sit with me in meditation every Friday afternoon. Yes. Why do you do that? If you're fulfilled in Malchut and you're doing the world, why, why would you want to sit with me in meditation for an hour? Okay, these are temporary states then. Ah, right? They're all temporary. All states are temporary. They are oh, all in flux. Yes. They are always changing. We, uh, and so, I mean, my prompt to you is because I think what you're there for is a little touch of Ein Sof. Reaching right down but back up through to reaching that expanded consciousness that is our touch of Ein Sof that we don't get when we're texting and doing the business of being in the world as a human. It's leaving reality. Or augmenting reality. We go for a deeper reality. I'm not leaving my reality when I connect with the divinity within. I'm going to a deeper place in my reality than I usually access. When you are in hypnosis, when you are in REM sleep, you're not leaving reality. You are participating in a certain kind of reality that takes you to a different state that tends to be pretty awesome and healing and, and our conscious mind is not so busy at that time. Because we, right, don't we tend to set, uh, equate reality with, oh, I'm thinking, I'm doing, I'm, like I'm perceiving, I'm, right? But REM sleep is not, not reality. REM sleep is just a different kind of reality. But it's still reality. It's our reality. We have REM sleep every freaking night. Well, some of us have <laughs> REM sleep every flipping night. Some of us are needing more of it than we're you getting. Use... Jonna, you wanted to say something? Oh, sorry. Sorry, Bert. Bert, is it, uh... is it similar to the reality that, like, right now there's television going on, there's radio, all of that's happening, we're not hearing it because we're not tuned in. So it's not any less real, we're just not tuned in. So it's just shifting our tuning. Correct. Is so that, that is about? one of the ways um, that my teacher explained how a Neoplatonist like Maimonides might talk about prophecy. For Maimonides, who's a Neoplatonist, God is thought thinking itself. God is perfection. You can't have a change in God because that means God wasn't perfect. Because if something needed to change, God wasn't talking, now God wants to talk, means there's a change in God that makes God not perfect. So that can't happen. So how can Maimonides, a Neoplatonist, a really good, really strict Neoplatonist, how can he deal with prophecy? Moses stood on Sinai and God said to Moses, and Moses wrote it down. There it is. And Maimonides says, you're misunderstanding. The signal's always going out. Moses had the unique ability as a prophet to tune in to the station. God was calling everybody. 
Only Moses knew how to fine tune the receptors. I don't know what, a, it's in a radio, but like whatever it is that receives signals, it was, huh? I, sh- I should have known. Here's our radio guy. His antenna right, was tuned to the station called S-I-N-A-I, right? So to that point, reaching for Ain Sof is just changing the station. The signal's always going out. It's always being received by us. We don't hear it necessarily till we tune to WKTR. <laughs> right? Does that make a little more sense, George? That we, that we tune in to Ain Sof differently when we stop running around and worrying and forgetting and regretting and shoulda, woulda, coulda, oughta, woulda, gotta. Like, then we, when we stop that and we sit in meditation together, we're able to kind of tune into the station where Ain Sof comes through. I've heard this compared to getting rid of the static. Yeah. That, that the static of everyday life is just shielding us from hearing right. what's and, beyond the And we the don't static. need to listen to just one station all the time. I got satellite radio. Oh, my God. Right? So it's like, I can listen to 70s. I can listen to classic country. I can listen to NPR. I can listen to progressive radio. Like, I have all these choices. Why would I want to stay on one station all the time? Right? I, I'm moving around. I'm shaking it up because that keeps us fresh, alive, attentive, fulfills like, like lots of more things than being on one station all the time. All right, Jim. So what's really resonating is what you said, manifestation. So it could be said that we are all manifestations of the divine. For sure. And what we bring forth is from the divine. So personal story, not story, but uh, just in my life, you know, I was the last born, um, the youngest of four. And my parents, when I came into being, their marriage was going down. What I realized a number of years ago that I never got the opportunity to ask my parents. Uh, they were separated when I was seven, but my mother died at fifth, when I was 15. She was 47, and my mother and my father died uh, in 2003. What their, you know, what was their love hot button? You know, what was it, their love for each other? So I never got a chance to say, but what came to me a few years ago, or my realization, is whatever love that they shared in their heart the night that I was conceived, Jim, Jimmy Lieberfarb is not sitting in this seat right now. And it's irrelevant. And for that, I owe them a debt of gratitude. You know, it's like I, I like I said, I, I don't know what their love was, but they brought forth the, whatever love that they had in their heart. The mis- you know, then I came in, you know, that I came into being on April 23rd, 1955. And for that, that that brought closure, completeness in my relationship with with both my parents. Nice. And they were flawed individuals, right. you know, they, they had their... So the Malchut, you know, what brings ma- right. Malchut is about their union for whatever moment that and was. And then I get and to share the manifestation that you and you and you, you and you and not that I'm looking to change the world other than what? I could only change the world through 
you know, letting the divine through me, you know, and it's, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing Pulling the divine through us, right? Mm -hmm. That's the point of this, is to allow for sure, but to pull the divine through us. Like, can we figure out how to actively pull that through us better, more, right? My parents did not have a moment of love even, probably. My mother had an affair. My birth mother had an affair because I did not match my birth father's genetic profile. (laughs) I matched... 50% 50% Irish, <laughs> not even Western European, Irish. My mother had an affair with an Irishman, right? It was a moment of lust. So I got here as a moment of lust, not of love. So, okay, that happens too in this world and that manifests its own stuff too, doesn't it, right? And I'm the product of the love of my parents who adopted a baby, right? So. I wanted to ask you, I, I thought that, did you say that Ein Sof was kind of like Ein, no, Ein Sof. Sof, nothingness with a capital N? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that really a good translation? Because nothingness to me seems Ein to Sof me... Ein Sof is never ending. Right, okay. Well, nothing... Without end. Okay, nothingness to me is more like something's missing. And so that I, prefer, I prefer the with, I prefer the without with end, end. But it's, and then but, but is no end. Then to me, then that English, the whole thing of it going up and down and turning upside down makes a lot more sense, at least to my brain. Because because nothingness to me is a very negative, empty uh. thing that reminds me of existentialism and no God and, okay. and all of that stuff. And I prefer that there's a somethingness. And what you're saying, which I really like, is that somethingness is eternity. Although the relationship for Kabbalah really is between two concepts, which is Ein and Yesh. This is a major Kabbalistic relationship, Ein and Yesh. So nothing in Kabbalah is not... Not the absence of something. Right. Okay, in it's English, not nihilism, it, it, in the English not, it says it, it, to me the absence the, of There something. is ain and there's yesh, right? And well, how would you translate those two? <laughs> um, For those of us who are not Hebrew scholars. Isn't? Is. Um, ain, without, with. When you say to, in Hebrew, yesh, you, you start anything with, I have a pen, yeshly, there is to me a pen. Yesh, there is, li, to me, a pen. That means I have a pen, right? So there's yesh and ayin, and th- that's the relationship that's happening all the time. And so we might say potential and actual. This is how Gersonides would talk about it. Gersonides, a medieval Jewish philosopher, would say, this is potential, this is actual. And there's a dynamic kind of relationship between those. Then I love the idea of the potential. Yeah, so so maybe think of Ein Sof as filled with never-ending potential. From that standpoint, then the Malchut is what takes the potential and makes it actual. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Gosh mute, right? Reality. From, right, that is, which is um, abstract. Um, George needs to say something else, it seems like. 
which is I've confused you. Good. Well, yes. Oh. Uh, I guess I am extremely netza, goal-oriented, and and I originally well, and also your another definition of ain't sof, of course, was chaos, and to work out of chaos, to work out of nothingness, to get down to a solution, I looked at as this is a, a pathway down to have a solution which includes uh, to whatever the loving kindness and the, and the uh, structure uh, but to include a, a little rest every once in a while which may be the meditation but that would be part of it rather than trying to go back in other words I looked at this as problem solving if you were oh because we're very much about that in the west aren't we Yes. We're so in our heads, our feet are here. We're going to solve that problem. We're going to fix that thing. We're going to solve it, solve it, fix it, fix it, solve it, solve it. Right. And that's what I thought this really... uh, Yeah. When we need that. What about mystery? What about love? Why do you love her? Why do you love her? You want to solve that problem for me? I don't love her. Why do you love her? How are you going to solve that for me? I don't think that's a reasonable question, see? (laughs) Ah. Yes, because here we come to the main criterion, which is it's not reasonable. It all goes through reason. That is not the point of this, is to reason and fix and solve. This is about opening, when we go the other way, it's about opening to mystery, to love. Love is a mystery. Ain't no reasoning through that, my friend. Yeah. No way, Jose. We love who we love. And that's how it is, right? And that is a mystery, capital M. For us, that is divine. We are looking to also connect with that which we know nothing really about. There's nothing to fix. There's nothing to solve. There's no problem. We're present. We're connected. Past our boundaries and borders to that which is greater than all of it. That's not a problem. That's a goal in your language. That's a goal. Okay. Yeah. This is the way to fix that. The way to fix it is to go up. How do we okay. fix being so caught in our heads that we got to control everything and we're going to make everything a problem and we're going to have a solution or else we fail? How do we get out of that whole mindset? We got to go back up. We got to go to expansive mind. But there is another way. The uh, what is it? Uh, Hesed and and uh, Din that we don't want to uh, go. We have to work with each. We have to work with each of those and to come to some balance. Of Otherwise course, we kill. But that's what I thought this was about. It is. But that's going... In your mouth. Yes, keep that in, in your mouth. mouth. Right. In my foot. I keep it in my mouth. No, no. Yes, it's about balance. It's about working with these things all the way up as well. When I try to sit in meditation and all I start is judging, Amy, you can't even meditate today. You're so lousy at meditating. Right. Then I got to go, you're way in Gavura. Can you get yes. a little chesed? So I got to go back up. Okay, chesed gevura as I try to reach back to Ein Sof, not to come down to Malchut, not to solve anything or fix anything, but to lift me out of that paradigm and to reach back up to my gevura speaking so heavily about, you didn't know this right, you didn't know. I got to move over some chesed 
And if I can hold myself with some chesed, I might be able to let go a little bit so that I can release back up into chokhmah and bina, the wisdom that is here, the understanding that lives here, that I cut off when I start thinking and start solving and start fixing and start having goals. I cut off chokhmah bina, and then I cut off access to Ein Sof. Right? I got to work it the other way up. You're still not convinced. Okay. It's okay. We're going to keep working with it. We have years, George. We have years together, <laughs> which I'm so grateful for. In praise of the long-term rabbinate, people, I'm just saying. <laughs> Amy, presumably the Kabbalists want to uh, reinforce the notion that the divine is really inexplicable in human terms. So yes. when we say Ensof is nothingness, in a way it's not not nothingness or it's nothingness that is being. I and mean, You hit the limits of intelligibility and it, to make it too clear or too practical or too immediately usable in a way, is to run away from that central mystery of the divine, which yes. is not us, yes. not not being. Right. Yes. Yes. So we can, we can rescue George now. Ein Sof's about we we don't have the language mm. to point to Ein Sof other than to say Ein. <laughs> like we we don't have it. We ain't got it. <laughs> right. We right because there's a capital M mystery that we, ha- we can't know enough about to even start to talk about, so we just go ahead and label it that. So it's not just a void. It's honesty, right? It's not just a void. It's an honest assessment of what we can name or have language about and what we can't. Is it similar to nonverbal feeling? Is it similar to, is what similar to nonverbal feeling? Talking about nothing. Nothingness as sim- similar to... Nonverbal feeling. No, I would say nothingness is about where nonverbal feeling emerges from. It is pre-nonverbal feeling. Feeling already requires someone to feel. Okay. It, right, so it requires. Nothing is emptiness. We just left that concept. Oh my gosh! But here we are back. Okay. Yes, it's both. All right. Here we go. Well. It's the fullness of emptiness. <laughs> Exactly. All right. So I want to I want to take you to Okay, no, we'll close there. No, we won't. We're going to drop down to the bottom of 57. So Rabbi Arthur Green owns, right? That this is a system devised by men. Let's go to the middle of 57 actually. Shekhina, oh, no, I can't. All right. Top of 57. I'm trying to keep us on track. Um, the upper six of the seven spherot that constitute divine and human personhood are usually seen as male. Only the seventh, the receptive partner, is female. Shechina is like the moon, having no light of her own, waiting to receive the light of the sun as it shines forth upon her. Right? She is the sea into whom the waters flow, the holy city entered by the holy king. Shekhinah is the bride of God longing for her husband, right? To join her under the chuppah. Drop down to the next paragraph. Shekhinah is not without significant power, however. It is she who must begin the arousal of love. 
energized by the devotion of her followers, meaning us, she turns to arouse her divine lover, capital L, and awaken the flow from beyond. Energy thus courses in both directions, forward through the spherotic channels and into the Shekhinah, but also back from the outer world into Shekhinah and up through the Sfirot, reaching back toward Keter. Yeah? A Kabbalah for our times, drop down to the last paragraph, taught and studied by women as well as men, will need to develop new and more nuanced understandings of this inner union from a female as well as a male perspective. As a male teacher of Kabbalah, says Art Green, I would not presume to say what form this development will take. I, however, can. (laughs) It may portray female understandings of all the Sfirot, or it may open Shekhinah herself to multiple levels of discovery and understanding. The growth of these teachings will require time, patience, much knowledge, and true inspiration. These teachings cannot be artificial or seem superficially imposed. If they are deeply rooted in the traditions of the past and remain faithful to the essential values of uniting all and revealing the one manifest in both male and female, I trust that they will eventually be accepted. Is there a group of, or are there people who are sitting around a table trying to work this out? And why can't it be us? <laughs> it is you. I know, but I mean... It is you. That's what we're doing. Because we I mean. if you don't know the language and you don't know what we're talking about, you can't weigh in. That is the entire corpus of Jewish literature, history, philosophy, all of it. If you aren't learning it, you can't have a voice. Because you're learning it, I go to every conversation I have and say, so I was just teaching this course at Kabbalah to my students, and here's what I learned from their perceptions. Here's how they interpreted Ain Sof. Here was their struggle with the idea of the balance of Chesed and Gevorah. Here's the, right? So, That's a conversation that is, of course, alive and happening around many tables. There is no systematic conversation where we all decide now this is what it's going to be. There is no such thing. There is many people, there are many people writing many books and articles and different things. I've given you a lot of them. You have them in your hand. When you ask me what's happening with it, they're in your hand. This is from, right, the Meaningful Life Center. Rabbi Simon Jacobson is one of the leading teachers and thinkers around Kabbalah. I gave you David Cooper, God is a Verb. That's another one. I gave you Rabbi Arthur Green, who was really struggling with what that means for us and how we take that forward. I've given you the Velveteen Rabbi tonight. This is her teaching, the Velveteen Rabbi's teaching on Malchut, right? So it's, it's happening, it's dynamic, it's happening everywhere, especially because of the internet. Those conversations are no longer closed. Once upon a time, you had to be 40, male, and brought in by a teacher who would vouch for you to learn this stuff. The good news is, we're all not only learning it together, because, okay, I'm not as happy about this part. Once upon a time, you needed a rabbi to teach it to you. (laughs) Now, Now, the conversation's open. You can look up anything you want about any of this stuff and find all the teaching you want. Hopefully, you will still need... Like, uh, what do you call it at a museum? Uh, um, curator of all of that and a guide through all that. But, um, but right, so the thing is the, the conversation's open. 
and you're a dynamic part of that conversation now. What is it gonna look like? What do we wanna talk about? If not, if all of them are masculine, but shechina, how do we feel about that? Are we okay with that? I kind of like, you know, the masculine feminine divide so it goes all the way down either side and then in the middle is, we'll just call it gender non-binary. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. In your mouth though, George. In your yes, mouth. right. The foot goes back into the mouth. <laughs> it says here, you're reaching back towards Keter, but not to Ein Sof. Oh my gosh. And in the circle... Yes! In the circle, Ein Sof isn't mentioned. To it? The circle... Right, because the emanation... So all around that circle is Ein Sof. The circle begins with Keter. Everything outside the circle is Ein Sof. And coming up through the middle of the circle is Ein Sof. Okay. Permeating the whole thing. You just mentioned God as a verb. Yep. Which I love, but I couldn't find the reading. We w- no, no, no. Maybe it, I didn't take the one. You've had it since the first class. It's this one. No worries. I think I can say it loud enough. It's not that important. But it's part of the recording. Oh, okay. Um, I wondered when Rabbi Green wrote this particular this book because I remember hearing him speak at some retreat that we had at one time uh-huh. and he gave an explanation about moving, stepping in and stepping out because he was trained as a conservative um, rabbi or his, his upbringing was uh, conservative traditional Traditional? Is that what we call it now? Yeah, I think it's beyond conservative. What? He grew up up traditional, beyond conservative. Oh, beyond conservative. He's not like, yeah. Okay. Traditional. Okay, and I just uh, wondered when he, uh, when did he write this? When did he write this? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. And he's still with us. Oh, yes. He's very much still with us. (laughs) Yes. Thank God. He's very much still with us. He was written in the last 15 years. So this was... Huh? We, I'm sorry? We had a beer for speaking. Yeah. Yes, that's what she was saying. Anything else? Yes. I have. Okay. Barbara? So I see these all as both male and female, and it's only... I think only from the perspective of the person who's... Only from the perspective of the person who's looking at it um, that person brings their, their, all their own background and makes it either feminine or masculine. Okay, so here's a commentary on how we might change all of this for in our language, in our paradigm, is to say they are both feminine and masculine, and it's about how each of us is approaching it at that moment Perceives and how we it. see or perceive it or experience it. Okay. So I, I had an interesting um, experiment with a teacher recently, Rabbi uh, Lauren. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, man. Rabbi Lauren Birkin uh, of the Hartman Institute. It says dry erase marker. Um, oh, no. So she um, said to us, I want you to do an exercise. I had some squirty stuff, but I don't know. 
Oh, I love Bert Kleinman. I love him so much. All right, we're going to fix the whiteboard. Look, look, look. We went from things to what? Ain't so, George, just like that. Boom. Turn the whiteboard around and it goes from concepts and whatever to nothing. Nothing. All right. So give me, okay, get out of your politically correct heads. Give me a Western classical list of words that mean, that are associated with being masculine. Strong. Strong. Good. Domineering. Domineering. Good. Huh? Aggressive. Huh? Hunk? Okay. Good for you, Bert Kleinman. I didn't say that. I'm just saying. That's your wife. What can I say? <laughs> Other things that we would put under masculine. Brave. Brave for sure. Willful. Protector. Strong. Hunter. Controlling. Leader. Um, protector. Leader. Confident. All right. So now, give me, get out of your politically correct head. Give me classical, fem, cla- things associated classically with femininity. <laughs> it's so funny. Soft. Soft. Wait, wait, beautiful, sweet, caring, someone said. Love this. Ah, compassionate, patient, seductive. Seductive. Whoa, wait, what? (laughs) That that seduced me off point. Compassionate, patient, nurturing. Did I hear nurturing? You have it down already. On the on oh I do. All right, what did we say? We said loving. Is that empathetic? Empathetic. <laughs> Compliant. I heard it. Shut up. I heard it. I heard it. All right, I'm doing this for a reason. I promise you. You won't be disappointed. I promise you. All right, compliant. Okay, anything else here? Weak. Weak. Yes. Weak. Smart. Obedient. Good, these are great. I love this. Okay, what else? Manipulative. Manipulative. Oh, that's interesting. Manipulative. No, I'm just saying. All right, now, now, now. Okay, wait, let's stay here. Let's stay here because I love this. Because if we're talking about masculine and feminine sides of things, right? Masculine and feminine sides of things. Now, what if I put the word Jewish here? Jewish man, Jewish woman. What happens? (laughs) The whole chart flips. (laughs) It totally reverses. If you talk about Jewish men, are you going to talk about hunk, strong, domineering, aggressive, brave, willful, controlling? No. Nurturing, soft, beautiful, sweet, caring, patient, compassionate, loving, empathetic, compliant, 100%. Smart, obedient. You talk about a Jewish woman, 
She is strong, domineering, aggressive, brave, willful, um, confident. She's a leader, controlling, protector. Mess with a Jewish woman's family? You ever seen someone mess with a Jewish woman's kids? (laughs) Ever? Leader, strong, right? So do you see why I find it fascinating when Rabbi Lauren Birkin did this exercise with us? Because you want to talk masculine, feminine, whose who's culture are we talking? Because if we're talking Western, we had no problem coming up with this list. You talk about Jewish culture and what happens? The exact same qualities switch from masculine to feminine and feminine to masculine. I think it's a perfect example of why it's not set as you just so beautifully articulated. It's about, what are we talking about? Well, it's about our perspective, right? It's about where we're coming from, or, you know, like, and sometimes it's about which kid are we talking about? And it's not based on masculine or feminine. It's on which kid is it? Is it little Levi, the sweet, compassionate, yummy one? Or, oh my God, that bossy little, right? Girl, which is fine. Right, so, right, like, and already that's a, a problem, right? She's bossy. How about she's a leader? Right, so, right, but it's also, I'm just saying, I just found this exercise that when we did it as rabbis, really interesting. <laughs> that it really got to the heart of when you talk masculine and feminine, you gotta be talking from, from what perspective are we talking? What about the different generations that you were involved with? Sure, sure. They are understanding all that stuff in a way that is completely confusing to me. They call themselves they, and like I don't, like I, I don't, right? I don't live in a world of gender non-binary. I don't know what that even means for somebody to be gender non-binary. I'm respectful, but I like it's a whole new world of there is no gender at all for some of these people. It's like okay, so masculine and feminine is off the table. And actually, when we did this exercise, Rabbi Birkin asked us, so is the and it was a women's rabbi women rabbi study session, and she said, so is the goal to be seen just as a human being with no gender? gender is it no, not gender fluid? without gender being a factor. Is that the goal? To be seen as people, like is that a goal of feminism or you know, like us as women? To be seen as, the minute you say woman, the minute you identify me as woman, already there's this whole host of associations. So is the goal to move what the associations are? Or is it to see me as, an, as Gender does not apply. Gender is irrelevant, meaning we don't even see it. And like I was somebody who said, I do not want to live in a world where I have to wear comfortable shoes all the time. <laughs> because there's no, like, I don't want to be not, I, don't, I want to be a feminine gender. I love my gender. I love being female. I love female empowerment. Do I want to shift what, how we see gender? Of course. Do I want to shift how Western society has boxed women and men in? Of course. But I don't, I'm not looking, but other people have disagreed with me. That they were like, I want gender not to be part of how people experience me or see me. I want to be treated as a human. And I'm like, okay. So that is, that is a generational shift that I am struggling with. I'll be honest, I'm really struggling. I'm old. I'm struggling. 
And I don't know what it means for me to get there even. I don't know what even that looks like, but I'm trying to be respectful and interested enough to try to, you know, to embrace some of that. All right, so let's go to um, Rabbi Rachel Berenblatt, the Velveteen Rabbi. That's what she calls herself, the Velveteen Rabbi. When she was a rabbi student, she was writing a blog. Do you know the book, The Velveteen Rabbit? So she says, when will I get to go out and play with the real rabbis, right? So, um, and she's kept the name because she got so famous as the Velveteen Rabbi that she kept the, the name, even though she's now a real rabbi. She's Rabbi, rabbi Rachel Berenblatt. All right, do you see my, hi- do you have my highlights? Okay, Bert, read my highlights. Malchut is deeply associated with the Shekhinah, the imminent indwelling divine presence of God, which is understood as feminine. Jewish tradition has attached all sorts of symbolism to Malchut and Shekhinah. Now drop down to the next highlight. Some teach. Some teach that Malchut is the only Sephira we can truly access. Divine emanation streams from the limitless Einsof, Einsof, the most transcendent part of God, that which we can either concept neither Neither, conceptualize nor encounter through the ten spherot spiraling down in a chain of blessing and being modulated and transformed as it flows. Only when it reaches Malchut has it been gentled into a form which won't blow out our spiritual circuits. We can't connect directly with the higher spherot, but we can connect to Malchut. Malchut is divine immanence, God to whom we can relate. So it's the point of contact. So if I take my hand and stick it in the socket in my wall, you think that's going to be a good thing? No. I need malchut, <laughs> right? I can only enter that current through a plug that is grounded. Then I can plug that. That's malchut. I plug in. Yesod connects my plug to the source. And then, oh, the Electricity in the whole wide apartment can come in through my toaster to make me cinnamon raisin toast in the morning and not electrocute me instead. It's not that we don't use, use, it's not that we can't access the other sphero of Keter, right, Bina, Chochmah, even Ein Sof. It's that, because Ein Sof is where electricity isn't even there yet, right? It's the potential for electricity to even exist. So whatever. So the power starts to come through. I can't directly access the power because it's too much. We, we need a conduit through which it's safe to draw that power that's bigger than what we can hold, but it still manifests in our life as cinnamon raisin toast, it was bread. Now it's toast. It, uh, that energy actually changes something, but not without malchut. Without the plug, what happens? Like, there's a fire in your kitchen. It's not toast. Yes? Okay, this is my famous toaster oven theology, which I really did not think was going to come into this class. Okay. <laughs> I really thought, yeah. Okay, go ahead. So... Some associate. Some associate Malchut with the world of speech. Jewish mysticism teaches that God created everything through speech, and our liturgy tells us that God continues to 
to speak the world into being even now. Malchut is associated with oral Torah, the aspect of Torah which is spoken rather than written, interactive rather than static. This is a week to ask, how does my speech manifest God's kingdom on earth? Do I use words wisely and well in a way which helps me to serve something greater than myself? Okay, so this is the other aspect of Malchut that is very common in rabbinic writings and when we talk about Midah practice, Musar practice, is that if you take the divine, how did the divine create the world according to our tradition? With speech. Thank you. God spoke and the world came to be. (laughs) Everyone's like, God said, let there be light. Right? Right? God speaks vayihi or light exists and light exists so the way the world comes into being is through speech God speaks the world into being and according to the rabbis continues to speak the world into being every day or it would of course collapse Um, so if the divine manifests the world malchut Shechina, manifestation into reality, from potential to reality, kaboom, it has to be with speech. How do we create self-esteem in children? It's what we tell them. How do we create a reputation? It's how we talk about people. I think they accept them before we speak. Okay, of course they do. How do we create a sense of reality? We talk about it. How do we understand our place in our family? How do we understand who I mean to you? You tell me. We understand and create reality through language. We access our ability to comprehend that something comes before language through language. Language is how it all becomes systematic. It becomes something we can actually think about and talk about. Yes? That is how we construct reality. Of course, Yesod comes before Malchut. It has to. Yesod is the foundation. Yesod is everything yearning and longing to come into existence. But Malchut has to include speech. That doesn't mean they're not taught language. How do you know? And we know what happens to monkeys who are not interacted with in a way that they understand that there's some kind of communication, right? They, and children who are not given any kind of language deteriorate really quickly. They, are, they don't do well. Children who are never, never given language do not do well. We know this. Anthropologically, we know this. They don't do well. If they're never spoken to, they do not do well. Oh, I agree, but there's some children who don't speak until they end. Or they don't speak at all. That doesn't mean they don't have language. They have us. They have. They think, but they don't speak. If they're thinking, they have language, unless they're thinking in pictures, like autistic children. That's right. But it doesn't mean they don't have a language. Yeah. What about autistic children? It doesn't mean they don't have a language. I'm talking language. Language is how we build our understanding of okay. reality. Let me ask you this: Does God think before He speaks? Well, okay, he I don't want to get caught in some kind of like. I'm not going to get caught in those kinds of things because it's not interesting at all to me right now. But what I can say is that we understand that how we communicate, how our tradition understands the world coming into being is through language. 
We read, we talk, we communicate. There's lots of kinds of languages. There's sign language that is not about speech. There's picture language for, as we said, autistic folks who don't speak a certain kind of right, language that we might call more regular, right? Whatever it is, there, there are ways that we communicate and that is how we make meaning. We make meaning through language, right? So Malchut has to then involve, if we're talking about the spiritual aspect of Malchut and how that manifests in our world and in us, then it must mean we've gotta be paying attention to language. We have to be paying attention to A, how we speak to ourselves, which is thought, We need to be paying attention to how we speak to others, which is how we manifest a certain kind of reality because when we tell something to somebody, in any kind of way we do that, sign language, drawing, however we do that, they take something from that and then they understand that as a part of reality. They may reject it, right? But depending on our relationship to them, that's easier or harder to do, right? A parent tells you you're stupid it's really hard for a kid to say, like, I, I don't believe that. You show a picture of a kid, you're stupid. I don't care how you communicate it. You tell a kid you're stupid, and guess what? That creates that child's reality. It's unavoidable. That's how we're designed. So the, the rabbis say we have to look at Malchut. We have to look at this idea of manifesting, coming from Yisod, coming from the pre, you know, pre um, uh, actual from the, the feeling, the emotional, the whatever's before that into what is, we have to think about speech, language, communication as a part of that. It's a critical component of that. So whenever we get to Malchut and Shechina, we're talking about, okay, so can we be really aware about how our own use, and I would say even our consumption of language, Like these days, I'm really, really frustrated and I'm really done with Netflix descriptions of shows that start with a young woman is found dead in a park. A young woman is raped and left for dead by the side of the road. A child is kidnapped and found dead in a... All of these shows start with the premise of, right? And I'm like, so... Even that language of like, what images, what storylines, what plots, what entertainment we're watching becomes part of what constructs our reality. And it's like, how much do I want to lean into reality that includes the murder of so many women and children? I'm just kind of done with it. And I asked some of our writers and producers recently, I said, what is the fetish? What is it? Why is it selling? So this is part of my question about what are we communicating through saying, we're gonna show you a show about a 25-year-old raped and left in a park. Like, I have to click through so many shows to get to one that doesn't start with that premise, that she's dead. Three women are dead, because now there's serial killers of women, things that are everywhere. Not even reality shows, these are just like, things that people write and sell the networks. I'm like, why is it selling? What, what is it? What's the messaging that we're giving and receiving and consuming around these stories? So, like, so it's not, right? There's all these ways that we're communicating and that we take in communication, 
right, that Malchut would tell us to be very mindful about as we approach it. So we cannot come to Malchut, we cannot come to Shekhinah, the indwellingness of the divine, without paying attention to what is it we're communicating, what is it that's being communicated back to us, what are we allowing ourselves to hear? Right, for me, I've, I'm like on a news diet right now. I don't know about y'all. I'm like, no CNN. I just can't. I, I just, I just, right now, I just can't. So the news diet is not about there's anything wrong with it. Well, <laughs> there is a lot wrong with it. It's not that there's something wrong with news. It's that, is it what, that's, what that message, what that speech, what that conversation is doing to me is not helpful. It's not helpful. I'm not interested right now in like the spin and the vitriol and the whatever. Yes. I have to wonder how much is the content itself as opposed to the description they choose. For example, there was a little blurb they made for the Wizard of Oz as kind of a joke. TCM some years ago and was a woman lands in a strange Koza new city, kills the first person she sees get, and then keeps on kill, kills the next person. She gets a taste sip for it and goes with three strangers to kill again. So it's a, in some ways I think it's a question of perception. You can spin something a certain way. Like why does this crime drama have to be advertised about the murder as opposed to the effect on the family, let's say? That may be what the actual show is, but the marketing people look at it and decide to spin it in a more sensational way. Absolutely. And so I think a little of what concerns me is how come how they're packaging it seems to sell like right because you're right well I don't know that I love the Wizard of Oz anyway it disturbs me that whole thing is very disturbing the monkeys I've never gotten over the monkeys like since childhood so I I've got like a bias but that was scary stuff and like I'm not sure I love the Wizard of Oz she kills the first person she see well it's kind of by accident but right and then right so um no, 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 it's, no, but it's absolutely true. So then, okay, so if you, if you tag it the way you did, once upon a time, and maybe I'm just naive, but I like to think it wouldn't have gotten as many hits if you described it the way you did, versus woman goes with happy little people, little people, you know, the correct term is little people, right, you know, and celebrates in a land and meets a magical whatever, right? That would have gotten a lot more hits, more hits than your description. Now, your description is what people are buying, I think that's what's so distressing to me, right? Is that that's, that's the message, that's the storyline, that's the plot people are signing up for and gravitating to. So that, I mean, I think that's, so I guess Malchut is what I'm trying to say is like the bigger issue of communication, conversation, verbal, nonverbal, right? Yes, Jana? Billions of people putting their input in. Oh, sorry. <laughs> My eyes you just got so loud. <laughs> um, putting their input in um, without a, an awareness, a mindfulness, awareness of what they're feeling that's creating. They're just putting it out there. It's almost like there's not thought. It's there's Yeah, there's no filter. So not no filter, but I think... Uh, 
the amount of people that possibly don't have this awareness or don't care are putting it out into the the internet and and people read it, children read it, and they think that's what is. You know, and it's we're being inundated. I mean, there's just a lot of darkness on the on the web. Yeah, a lot of darkness on the web. Right. So we're exposed to a lot more conversation so it, than we would have chosen before. Well, I think, yeah, and I think it, it also feeds kind of our natural inclination as human beings a little more on the negative just because of the reptilian brain. I don't know. I'm guessing it's a little bit of what I've learned. It's um, Anyway, but I think, you know, it kind of comes back to f- finding this balance. Right. All right, Jim, you want to say something? If so, you need the mic. You need the mic. Bert's going to yell at me. People want to be distracted. They want to get out of their reality and just, you know, to escape and not feel. There you go, George. They don't want to be in their reality. (laughs) (laughs) All right, take it. Bert, if you're going to do this, you got to be up. Linda. (laughs) Because I'm going to get in trouble. Go ahead. No, the point is... I mean, that I've been hearing that is that the way these shows or whatever it is we're talking about um, describe that and a, a way of, of living that a lot of people now take in as the way it ought to be, and the negative things that or things that we were brought up were negative ways of acting and 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 uh, behaving towards others and so forth. It has changed I don't know I can't explain it at the moment but has changed the way people look at the reality of life these yeah. days yeah and it's changing more rapidly than ever that's the other thing is that we can only adapt to so much change right at a time and um, like a lot of researchers right now are discussing the real problematics of how quickly change is happening it's now exponential it's not just like okay it changed now it's changing again it's, a, it's changing exponentially faster than people can actually kind of um, catch up to in any kind of ways that are healthful and and holistic and and good for us. Although this group doesn't qualify as a target audience, you have to understand still that horror movies attract highest grosses of domestic box office throughout not only the United States but throughout the world and what they personify right. and. Whether you want to avoid, as you said, CNN or anything else, and avoid information, I always liken it to the fact that even when the ostrich sticks its head in the sand, it does leave certain parts of its body exposed. Well, thank you, Bob, for the next time I describe myself as being on a news diet, I will have now a whole different visual about what exactly that means. All right, so um, I want to bring us to a close in a couple of ways. Um, First of all, I've given you this new chart so that it's in English, and you can just kind of sit with it. We've had some different words used for different stuff, but we've talked about that, that there's a variety of ways of describing different things. On the back of it are the qualities of each of the spherots, uh, just in case you just want to have it as a quick reference. If you want me to laminate it for you, I will have Lisa, my new wonderful assistant, laminate it for you. Um, The other thing I've given you is a, uh, thank you, Cecile Willis, for this, a chart of counting the Omer. So we've talked about all of the spherot, yes? 
We've talked about the seven spherot below the first triad, right? Starting at Chesed and Gevura, right? So in counting the seven weeks of seven days of the 49 days of the Omer leading from Passover to Shavuot, there is each week a theme, a sphira. So chesed is the first one, like purple going across, yes? But then dropping down through that is each, for each day, the other sphira drop through. So if you look at day two of chesed, right? Day two, April 2nd, is Gevura within Chesed. The next day is Tiferet within Chesed. The next day is Netzach within Chesed, right? So it's each of the Sfirot within the theme, the Sfirah of that week. So each day changes by the rest of the seven Sfirot. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is your chart for the next time we count the Omer, but it's also a way for you to understand kind of how this is interactive. It's not just chesed, gevura, related to dit-dit-dit-dit. It's like, how does, you know, netzach within tiferet manifest? So if you look at, there are teachings available on the internet that talk about every single one of these days. What is the flavor of yesod in netzach? Right? So it's an intense practice of really playing with these dynamics in a way that's beyond me saying they're interactive. You actually look at each quality within that week's quality, and it changes over seven days. Yes? Okay. And from week to week, obviously. All right. So we'll, 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 I'm going to look at putting together a study group for counting the Omer next week. So those of us who have done this intense study together can maybe talk about um, having a conversation as we count the Omer and start playing with this, right? And start, and we'll have a guide. We'll have something that you'll have to read at home every day. Um, we're not going to ask you to come every day. But like we'll talk at the beginning or the end of a week about, okay, so how was that? Like what was that like this week of Chesed? And yeah, which one of those days resonated for you? What was that like? All right. All right. So um, I just want to, again, thank you all. There, every single lesson that we've been involved in this topic is on uh, the podcast. You are welcome to listen. We look forward to your comments uh, and uh, any feedback that you have to offer. And I hope to see you all again right here again very soon. Mazal tov on our completion of study. Yashikoch. Go from strength to strength.